Hey, thanks for joining us at Praise Chapel. We hope you enjoy this message from our midweek service with Pastor David Tijerina. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Second Timothy chapter 1. I don't want to preach too long because I want to do some praying. But this whole sermon and this whole thing was centered around an article I read not too long ago. And it caught my attention because it said how to stay young. When you're over 40, I don't want to say that, that doggone 5-0 number, but when you're over the, 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 a certain age, you just want to try to do things to keep you young. I don't want to hang out a bunch of, uh, around a bunch of old folks because that's all we do is just complain. And want. How many know young people are crazy? You know how I know? Because I was once young. I'm still young in heart. But does it count? My, tell, my, I try to tell my body that, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Y'all remember Pastor Omar telling you he was going to post this video of him falling? Actually, he did. Well, I was trying to race Renee, and I tumbled. Pulled my hamstring, pulled my thigh muscle, messed up my head. I was like, what? I'm not on the ground. Just, why did I do this? So, but it, it, the article said... Hanging out with young people keeps you young. I, want to, I just want to read a couple of these. You begin to do things faster or hurry up. <laughs> they have a different outlook on life that's refreshing. You know, I mean, they're not always looking at the negative. They're always looking at the bad. Always, you know, I think adults, y'all listen to too much news. Shut the news off and you'll just be amazed at how much your life changes. Uh, honestly, thank you. Okay, shut off ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox because they're all liars. All of them, all of them lie, just about, about the same. Open your Bible and start clearing up your mind and your life will change. It really will. Your life, your whole life will change. They teach you to think differently and, and do crazy things at times. They teach us not to take ourselves too seriously. How many know that's so true? They take us out of our comfort zone. They can teach us to be more accepting. I, I want to tell you, I, I never seen so many, I, I don't want to say in a bad context, but it's uh, uh, weird teenagers. You know, red hair, blue hair, nose piercings all over, big earrings that their ears are flapping down. Uh, uh, it, it's just I'm amazed. It's just all the, all the stuff that they do. And the last one is they give us lots of great ideas about what to wear and what not to wear. <laughs> so this whole thing started because my son turned 21 years old. And my wife <laughs> makes a suggestion why don't you guys go skydiving? Are you going? 
She said, next time. <laughs> so I'm going to hold her up to that next time. So if anybody wants to go with us, let me know. We're going to be making plans. And so I asked my son, would you rather go uh, get, get a quad and go out in the sand dunes? Or I, I'll rent a boat and a, a few uh, jet skis and we'll go out in the ocean and we'll go out and do some flips and all He goes, Dad, let's go skydiving. So, my wife says, are you going to show that again? Yes. Uh, is it ready, guys? Go for it. So, this is a show that we were. This is not a, a green room. And this is not that little tunnel up in Universal Studios. I think the plane ride was scarier. So, right here, I'm smiling. Happy, and now that's my son Nicholas jumping out. <laughs> that's my daughter Kayla jumping out. And now he says, here we go. He tells me to dangle my feet. Dangle my feet at 13,000 feet. <laughs> so we have to hold on to the straps until he taps me on the shoulder. Now I can have fun, baby! <laughs> 120 miles an hour. For 60 seconds. That's good, guys. That's good. I'll have it available if anybody wants to see it afterwards. <laughs> And so along with all that, people begin to ask me, were you scared of jumping? No, the face was, I was freaked out and surprised my son did it. And so I wasn't actually, I went up there with the mindset, this is a ride. Because if you go anywhere else, your, your mind's going to play games. You're not going to do it. And then, of course, someone began to ask me, well, why are you risking your life? You're risking your this and that and that and that. I was like, you know what? It's more dangerous to drive a motorcycle in Los Angeles. Does that mean we're going to ban motorcycles from Christians? And so I did it, yes. It, it was a risk. But how many know risks keep you on the cutting edge? And honestly, I'm talking about risks, not careless risks. But risks that do bring some excitement and keep you on the cutting edge. And my whole thought of going up there, this is honest to God truth. If God can't protect me skydiving, then I got a problem. He protects me driving on the 405 every or on the 110 every day. And my wife says, there is a God. <laughs> but there is a risk. How many want to be on the cutting edge? Then there's a risk to it. Risk means hazard or danger or peril, exposure to harm. Uh, 
Uh, an example is he, at the risk of his life, saved a drowning man. Could you imagine if he decided not to risk and allowed that man to die? See, I'm not talking about careless risk, but I'm talking about those risks that keep you on the cutting edge and add some excitement to your life. You know, I made a pact and a commitment. When I got saved, I'm not going to be a boring Christian. I'm not going to be, whoa. No, Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus was cool. When you read the stories about Jesus, he was cool. He was hip. And he mocked. You snakes and vipers. I mean, he got the, he, he told it like it is. He wasn't, he wasn't a monk. He was Jesus, son of God. And so I'm stepping out and I was risking and said, you know what, God, you're going to protect me. I know you're with me wherever I go. Risk in Christianity that if you want to stay on the cutting edge, how many know that you have to step out and risk all for Jesus? See, I trusted God when I was jumping off the plane. But how many know there's a lot of Christians that can't trust God with their Christianity, with their lives? There are people that call themselves Christians. They're Christians, but they will not risk giving. There's people that, that are Christians and say, oh, how could you jump off the plane? Well, well. How come you can't come to prayer meeting? Risk that. Risk. you got to do something in life. If you're going to do anything, right now is the time. There's husbands that won't risk telling your wife how awesome they are. How great they are. How beautiful they are. They won't risk apologizing. My wife got a water bottle over there. You're like, shoot. <laughs> See, I, I can feel. See, that's, when you've been married for a while, you can just sense and feel. <laughs> I felt the force. <laughs> See, there's Christians sitting here, I dare to say, that won't risk it all for Jesus because of fear of missing out. <laughs> I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on that. I had one, I remember a long time ago in Gardena, I had a teenager, Pastor, I'm going to miss out on the parties. That's a good thing. Dear God. So we confine ourselves, like Brother Jacob so eloquently preached last week, we confine ourselves to our little box. And we begin to miss out on what God has for our lives. There's other people I don't want to risk because I might get hurt. People might hurt me. True, they did crucify Jesus. They might hurt you. But you know what you have to do? You have to brush it off and keep going. And you have to love people. You have to learn to trust people. That's the whole thing about Christianity. It's a big risk. Will people receive me? Well, you know what? Some received Jesus. Others rejected him to the point that they crucified him. 
See, I don't understand the, the churches of today, how the world loves the church. How many know they didn't love Jesus? Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. But see, we want to compromise to allow everybody, everybody to like us so we won't risk anything for true Christianity. I, know, I was speaking to someone one time. They, they felt they had a gift of healing but never prayed for anyone because they feared that they, would, they wouldn't get healed. More on fear in just a moment, but <laughs> young people and older folks, somehow us adults need to learn how to bridge the older generation with the younger generation. Because they provide all these things, get us out of our comfort zone and help us to become more accepting and, 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 and to think differently. But how many know adults, we provide stability and we provide experience for their lives. I remember my wife's telling, I was going to have her testify, but... Uh, I, I, we weren't able to, to get it all down. But I remember her in Gardena that uh, 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 there would be girls that come in tough. I'm talking about tough, gangbanger, tough girls. And they would be hardcore. <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they didn't want no one talking to them. And my wife just kept on loving them, loving them, loving them. Finally, they opened up. Tears would come out. They begin to pour out there. And my wife was able to share experiences with them. And speak to their lives. Why? Because most of them never had a mother figure. And so she was able to bridge the older generation with the younger generation. And that's exactly what Paul uh, brought uh, to the table in, in building a relationship with Timothy. It was through that relationship that he was able to speak into his life. In 2 Timothy 1.6, the Bible says, Wherefore I put thee into remembrance that thou stir up the gifts of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. The English uh, Standard Version says, Fan into flame the gift of God. And so something was going on in Timothy's life right here in, in this part of his life. And, and Paul sees it. The uh, pulpit commentary says that Paul knew Timothy to be cast down and depressed uh, by his own imprisonment and imminent danger and therefore exhorted him to revive uh, the, uh, or to stir up the gifts in him. And so, listen to me, this is vital. Paul had a relationship with Timothy which allowed Paul to speak into Timothy's life. And I want to tell you the big disconnect in a lot of churches, and it's partially in our church too, is the older people don't connect with the younger people. How many know Anthony and Daisy can't do it all? How many know there has to be connections with young people? There's people, you've been saved here 15, 20 years, and you're wondering, God, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? But I need to train people to get ready so when that time does come, I can pass it on. See, Paul is sharing uh, 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 into Timothy's life. Can I tell you something? This is so true. No relationship means no impartation. 
You know, most people are shut off to you, adults. Why? Because you don't have a relationship. You know, I'm blown away by parents. Oh, my kids don't listen to me. Build a relationship with them. It's an amazing thing. Quit hagging on them all the time. Quit nagging them. Quit, quit telling them you're so bad. You're, you're just like your father. You know what? You just destroyed the father and you destroyed him too. It's like, how about, Mijo, you could do it. You could do it. Oh, my gosh. You, could, you, you got potential. You got destiny. How about I don't want you to do things that I did. Let me tell you something. And don't start ragging on them, but start loving them. Start building them up. What a powerful thing. A powerful thing happens when you begin to build people up. My own boss, my, my boss was at my work today. We had a big meeting, and, and they saw him. And I introduced him, and they all, oh, you're not leaving us, are you? You're not, no, 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 you're not leaving. And they were almost at tears. I'm like, no, I'm not, 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 not yet. <laughs> but I imparted something into them. I added value to them. How many know that's what Christianity is? I'm adding, adding value into people's lives. They come to Christianity. You know why? Not because how great of a worship team, and that was intense. Not how great the preaching is. You know why? Because they don't understand that. They don't understand worship. They understand They don't understand the power of God, the presence of God. They don't understand uh, what we're preaching up there. They don't even know who Timothy and Paul is. But they come in here because they're hurting. They come in here because the Spirit of God drew them because there's something in their lives that we can repair through the power of God using us. It is impartation. It is, I'm going to give you something that I have. In 2 Timothy 1.12, here Paul, speaking to Timothy, he says, for this reason, so, the, so he had just told them, he had just told them to stir up the gifts. Now he's explaining why. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And so here Paul is sharing something of himself. He's, ex- he's sharing his experience with Timothy. There's people that have gone through some stuff, man. Sometimes you wonder how they even made it. But then you realize how great and how awesome our God really is. Here Paul says, I go through these things. I'm going through them even now. And if I can make it, you can make it. He says, just trust Jesus. Paul is telling him, I've gone through this thing, but I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. Can I tell you something, Christian? Before we can impart, we must be persuaded. I got to be persuaded that no matter what I'm doing, God's with me. That he's going to open doors of opportunity for me. If you're struggling with a job, you know, God's going to open a door. I've had God literally remove my bosses out of the way because they were giving me a hard time. I prayed for them and everything, but I said, God, you know what? (laughs) You know, I've learned something. 
when you're living righteously for God, God protects you. He says, he says, he says, don't worry about getting them back. I'll get them back. I remember one, one, one guy, I remember when I got up here to, to uh, I was working in Fontana, I was unjustly fired. Fired. I'm like, man, I've been fired. How the heck does this feel? I went, oh, man, I got fired. <laughs> we, had, we had the paperwork. We had everything. He was just looking for excuse because my company, our, well, our company from you had just taken over that company. And, and, and so I'm like, you know what, God? And then I got a better job after, right? I mean, a week or two, I got a way better job. But later on, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad context or anything, but I ran into a guy. At, I tell you, don't mess with the people of God because God does. If you have a purpose and you have destiny and you're a child of God, I want to tell you, the Bible said don't mess with the people of God. And I'm not saying that's what happened to him, but I'm just saying I, it's just, it was just a timeline that happened. I was like, wow, it blew me away. And God spoke, it's like, don't worry, I got you, I got you. So here Paul is imparting it to Timothy. And I want to tell you, church, I want to tell you, sometimes, oftentimes, I think adults hang out and get cliquish and just hang out with their age group. I look around after service and I see the same groups. And then I also see young people just sitting there. Just waiting for someone, anybody. Y'all with me this morning, this evening? They're just sitting there. We're over here having conversations, and there's probably young people right here contemplating suicide. I wish I was joking. You could feel it. They have no hope because no one's ever imparted anything to them. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what, what, what we're to do here. How many know this coming generation needs mentorship? It needs impartation. We need to risk connecting with this generation. You've been saved for any amount of time. You need to learn how to connect with this generation. So doing what we can. Thank God Paul saw Timothy's condition and he was able to speak into his life. See, that's what a relationship and that's what impartation is. I'm giving you my heart. That's what discipleship is. Oh, well, what if I get hurt? You know what? You pick it up, put it back in and give it to the next one. So there you go, Pastor Rudy and Nellie, when you guys go to something, you give it to someone and then they throw it down on the ground, just pick it up, put it back in, and wait till you find another one. I think our hearts, my wife and I's hearts have gotten real little because it's been stepped on so many doggone times. But you learn to keep on going and say, God, you know what? you got a future and a destiny for us. And so here Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, fear, fear will keep you from destiny. 
Fear will keep you from believing God for the supernatural. There's so much. I want to tell you, when we have our altar calls, you can feel the presence of God. And I know there's people standing there that God is stirring up the gift inside of you. I was so, I, I, you know, can I tell you something? I was blessed last night. Our prayer meeting outside was so powerful. But it, it was, everybody felt it was the presence of God. But, you know, I, I was so over. She should stand right there, just pray with us, pray with us. And then she would come on Tuesday. And then that last night, uh, she's over there, and, and Pastor Isaac separated them into groups. And I'm like, man, that was, that was wisdom right there. And so they start praying for her, and she begins to prophesy. And I think Johnny was, I'm like, dang, this is powerful. Do you know how many, group, how many churches wish they had what's going on right now? So I was going to post on Facebook, and I still laugh because we took a picture of the, the thing last night. Most churches are counting on committees to grow their church. Uh, we're, we're relying on the Holy Ghost through prayer meetings. I mean, no, we don't need committee meetings. We need prayer meetings uh, to bring down the house. But I want to tell you, fear will keep you from stepping out and trusting God. And can I tell you, listen to me, listen to me tonight. Fear will steal a vital moment in your life, and not only in your life, but in someone else's life. Billy Graham, and I, I might have read this story. If, I have, if you know it already, thank God, praise God, just smile. But Billy Graham had known John F. Kennedy, president of the United States back in the 60s, before he won the president. Actually, he knew him before he won the president in 1960. After Kennedy's victory, Graham made it clear that he would do anything to help the new president unify the nation under his leadership. Only a few days before the inauguration, Graham was invited to play golf with the president-elect. The two men enjoyed a conversation about world events and politics, but Graham was more passionate about their discussion of Jesus Christ and his pending return to earth for those who follow him. Can you imagine witnessing to the President of the United States? Kennedy was so intrigued with their discussion that he requested to meet again with Graham concerning Christ. They continued to stay in touch through Kennedy's presidency and were together in February 1963 at the National Day of Prayer Breakfast. In Billy Graham's autobiography, Just As I Am, he shares his memory of the morning's events. He says, after the gathering, Kennedy and Graham walked out towards the presidential motorcade on this particularly cold and snowy day. Suddenly, the president stopped in his tracks, turned and invited Graham back to the White House so that they could discuss something with them. But Graham was battling the flu Fearing he would make the president sick, he declined and asked if they could meet another time. The president agreed if, he, if the president agreed it could wait for a more convenient occasion, but that moment never came. For Graham, this moment will forever stay with him. Uh, in his book, he wrote this: His hesitation at the car door and his request will haunt me still. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? It was an irrecoverable moment. How many know there's things in our lives that we have gone through that we can never recover? 
their decisions that we made, and at that moment they looked good, but it turned out to be a bad one. And that's what he was facing. And I want to tell you, church, when God begins to move in a church, when God begins to move through worship, when God begins to move at prayer meetings, how many know it's time to rise up, to get up, to get involved, and begin to say, God, here I am. How can I be used? See, Paul says, yes, you're going through it, Timothy, but we have a mission. He says, we have a purpose. And that's why Paul was stirring Timothy back uh, up uh, to stir up the gifts. Uh, he, get, he said, get back in the battle. Don't let discouragement. When you read this portion of scripture, Paul begins to name all the people that are leaving him. Almost like these Christian famous guys today. Wow. Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you probably never believed him. But you probably use him as a stepping stone into your future. I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to judge. The Bible says, you know what, whatever judgment you judge, that's what you, you know what, I'm fine with it. I'm right with Christ. I don't have the issue. They do. They turn their back on Jesus, their Lord and Savior. They, they could play this on faith. I don't care. They, they're, they're, they're just a bunch of wimps that use Jesus to get ahead. Yes, you want to look at somebody, look at this church. We're serving God. We're standing for God. We're not, we're not profiting off of God. Amen. And that's what's happening. That men are falling by the wayside. And Paul says, you have been entrusted to impart into other people's lives. Listen to me. When he was going through discouragement, when he was, this is very, very important. When he was going through discouragement, when he was going through fear, Paul did something right here. Stir up the gifts what he's saying is, stir up that purpose. How many know when we have purpose, we have something to live for? When you have purpose, you have a purpose tonight. You have a purpose. You need to impart something into this generation. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, Paul says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, I'm teaching you. Now you go impart it into somebody else that you can trust. He's building a what? A bridge. He says, I imparted into you. Now it's your turn to impart it into others. Just look around. Wives, look around at the single ladies that are hurting. Look around that they need direction. There's so much purpose. It's right here. So much purpose. Look around your neighborhoods. So much purpose. It's in the Boys and Girls Club. Oh, what? There was a, 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 a preacher guy, a Christian. I don't even know if he's a pastor or not. He's just a Christian. Uh, he, he decided to take a bunch of the kids from the neighborhood, invited them to his house, and taught them how to properly set a table and how to eat correctly. Because they don't have a father figure. He says, I'm going to make my life count. See, this is the bridge that impart into others. The gospel, how many know, is transferred from one person to another. I want to close as our, our, our worship team comes up, but I want to close. And I, I, you know what? I've I preached so many sermons. I don't even know if I preached this here, but the Tiananmen Square protesters, 
And I, I was going to bring, I had a picture, and I forgot to, my, my fault, guys. I had a picture, but it shows, it was like 10, 15, 20,000 people gathered around Tiedemann Square. And it was a student-led demonstration calling for democracy, free speech, and free press in China. And so they were halted in a bloody crackdown known as the Tiananmen Square Massacre by the Chinese government on June 4th and 5th, 1989. Eventually, thousands of people joined the students in Tiananmen Square with the protest numbers increasing to the tens of thousands by mid-May. Some leaders in China's government were sympathetic to the protesters while others saw them as a political threat. As the movement grew, the Chinese government became increasingly uncomfortable with the protest. And so they sent in tanks and their army and just began to shoot people live bullets. And it says that some of the students began to fight back. Some of the students were trying to, to fight back, but they didn't have any rifles. They were just sticks and whatever they could pick up. And, and so here's 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people gathered. They're trying to, trying to, to fight back, but they're, they're getting ripped down. And it was close. To, I can't remember how many thousands of people died and over 10,000 injured. And, 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 but but they, they had the momentum going. See, the government realized that youth with a vision and with purpose are dangerous. How many know that was devil-driven? See, the devil knows that a revival sparked in a church that has youth is dangerous. He knows that when young people have a purpose... When they set their mind on something, they're not going to stop. They're not going to give up. And what happens is they begin to stir the people around them. Old people say, well, man, I don't want to be left out. Come on. Come on back. Work right now. <laughs> and so I begin to think about that. And I begin to think, here, these students get this momentum going, momentum going, and all of a sudden, some of them begin to get killed, and I begin to think, what if? What if they would have continued to fight? What if the more and more would have come, and the momentum would build and build more and build more? What if instead of when they, 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 they started getting killed, that they stayed and fight? Instead, they dispersed when the fighting started. What if they would have fought? Would they have democracy today? What if they would have pressed through? Would China be a capitalist nation today? We will never know because they ran. They gave up. Listen to me tonight. The price was too high. What if tonight, we'll never know about that one, but what if tonight, if people saw what was happening here and get stirred and begin to show up for prayer meetings? What if men and women begin to step out and pray and encourage those around them? 
What would happen if, 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 if people would begin to, to stir up the youth and take them with, let's go outreach. Praise God for Facebook media. Praise God for Instagram. But how many know there's nothing like evangelism? There's nothing like uh, touching people, talking to people, being able to discern and say, oh my God, I, you're going to, you need prayer right now. You know, I, I honor Johnny tonight that he goes out still old school. They call it old school. It's not old school. It's the only school. We can't put our dependency of revival on Facebook and Instagram. It takes the people of God to pray, to read the word, and to evangelize. Jesus' words were, go ye into all the world and share Facebook. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to have outreaches again. We need to go out and hit the streets. Can I tell you, revival is costly. That's why many people don't want it. What if? What if? What if you started having prayer meetings in your house? You know why people backside? Because they get bored staying at home doing nothing. Gives the devil the opportunity. But what if you risk? You know what, bro? Let's have a prayer meeting at my house. Let's have a prayer meeting at my house. Revival takes a group of people in one accord, one mind, and one passion. I want to close with Matthew 10, 7 and 8, preaching, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Freely you have received freely give. Can I tell you, church, this is your time. This is your time. If you're going to do something for Jesus, you need to do it now. Can I tell you, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The window of you doing something is narrowing down. I want to tell you, don't live a life of regrets. I've met too many people that are now in their 50s and 60s. Oh, man, I wish I I would have done that when I was young. I wish I would, I wish I would, I wish I would. It's too late. They can't do it anymore. But right now, we have time. There's still daylight. We can still preach the gospel. We can still take a risk and say, God, here I am. Use my life. Use my life. If I can have every head bowed and every eye closed and reverence to God for just a moment. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.